0: Episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy, and today we have a really cool treat for you guys. Uh, my friend Mike Samuels, who I say friend because like we've known each other and known of each other for a god knows how long time, and only recently spoke. Actually, this is the first time we end up speaking at oh, all, which is quite humorous to me. But I'm glad to have you on here, Mike. Mike is a copywriter who's worked in multiple markets, but particularly health. Uh, and fitness if I'm not mistaken am I right or wrong about that because I can't remember
1: you'd be correct in that I started out in fitness so that was kind of my go-to when I then switched over to copy stuff
0: oh cool so what is it that you write for now or do you just like kind of let me write everything Uh,
1: pretty much yeah I tend to where I've done quite a bit in the supplement space I tend to get a lot of repeat stuff and referral work from that so it's probably 50 percent health and supplements and then 50% 50% a an odd arrangement of stuff.
0: Okay. that That's pretty awesome. I we'll <laughs> when that happens. Uh, but yeah, so that's pretty cool. So just a real quick shout out to our sponsors for this episode. You can go check out Mike's giveaway, which he has so kindly sent me the very long-ass link to, but I've decided to shorten for you guys. That's uh, given in the description, and that is com forward slash Mike mikes hyphen giveaway so m-i-k-e-s hyphen giveaway um and you are able to download the free guide that he has on there which is pretty cool also sponsored to, uh, also the other sponsor for this show is of course adelmarcycom forward slash audible i love audiobooks i also love regular books i have far too many of them um, but Audible makes it easier for me to actually pick up certain books to go through. Um, the current book th- books that I'm listening to right now are The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Green, which is about 28 and a half hours of audio time. Um, and it's an excellent freaking uh, audio. And of course, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Mike, you an audio type guy or are you more of a traditional book kind of guy?
1: More so traditional book, although I have got into Audible a bit more recently. I think I had a load of credits that I don't know how I got them, but yeah, I broke my Audible virginity probably three months ago, and I think I've got through about half a dozen things now. Just stick it onto the car and yeah, sort of easy listening basically.
0: Yeah, I usually have it when I go uh, running. Oh, on the way to the gym. it's It's a great way of just like zoning out and getting into like a really cool zone of just going for it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I find that, for me, it takes... I really enjoy reading, but it almost takes some effort to read, whereas listening to stuff is zero effort. and passive. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm the exact same, because I have so many books. I think I counted, like, 430 the other day. I was like, God damn it, why do I have so many?
1: That's pretty impressive. I'd say I'm probably in that ballpark. I probably haven't read all of them. I've probably only read two-thirds of what I have, I'd say. But I think, actually, compared to some people, that's not too bad.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Like We both know some people that have, like, immense levels of books. It's like, just get a storage unit or just get, like, a library for yourself. Please just make it easier for you. In yeah. fact, that's on my goals list for, like, when I buy a house is to actually have, a, like, a room dedicated for just my books and my reading.
1: That would be cool. Yeah, I think uh, if we uh, if we move any time in the future, then it's going to be uh, – that's one of the goals as well. So, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say quite a library, but certainly – Library slash office would be pretty cool. It's
0: pretty badass. I love that. So, just real quickly, I did want to ask you how did you actually get copywriting? Because you and I are about a year off in age. I'm just, I'm always curious on someone that is below 33, how they get into uh, this line of work. Because it used to be, you actually don't end up starting copywriting until you're in your 30s.
1: Do you want the long version, the short version, or something in the middle?
0: <laughs> uh, surprise me.
1: I'll go for probably a middle-ish answer then so um I basically I've never had like a a proper job I guess I finished college at 18 and decided I didn't want to do anything in an office or anything in a suit or anything in a nine-to-five role so I got into personal training and I lived in London doing that for probably close on two years I think this was kind of Uh, Back end of 2008 through to summer 2010, so just under two years, um, didn't do that well. I basically just about made enough money to pay my rent and bills uh, and then lived in my room like a hermit because I had nothing left over to go out or do anything fun. So I then decided to move back to where I'm from originally, which is Southampton, and start off doing mobile personal training. And I did that for, I kind of did okay with it for a year and then all of a sudden it suddenly took off and I spent the next two years doing kind of 50, 55 sessions every single week. Pretty much realized that there was no way that was sustainable. I was doing like seven day weeks and first client was at 5.30 in the morning, wouldn't finish till, I think my earliest finish on a weeknight was about 7.30 and often it'd be 9.30, 10 o'clock. And so I thought I enjoy doing what I'm doing, but I need a different way to earn money because I can't see myself doing this till I'm like forty odd. Well, couldn't see myself doing it. So I was about twenty six, let alone any older than that. Yeah. So I looked around for fitness writer jobs that I could do online,
0: mm-hmm. and started
1: picking up some freelance gigs through things like Upwork, through Elance, those kind of sites, and then found one for Livestrong.com. And so I gradually started to do more stuff for them while I was um, scaling down my personal training stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it was probably around about 2013, I think, that I started to do, I, I decided I didn't really want to do stuff where I was tied to a location or even specific times anymore. And so I started off uh, doing online personal training. And that gradually started to build up and took over from the in-person stuff and I gradually got to the point where more than I'd say, probably about sixty to seventy percent of my working hours were just sat at a laptop. And then back end of 2014, I basically I was doing sort of doing pretty well with the online stuff. I had some digital products and things like that, and I reached out and I actually asked in the Facebook group, um, looking to scale this. Does anyone know someone I can speak to? And I was pointed in the direction of a guy called Dan Meredith. and Dan started off for a couple of months he mentored me essentially and he kind of took me through you know here's some here's basically what you need to do to grow your online business but my main way of getting clients and of marketing myself was blogging and through social media and he actually quite liked the way I wrote and so at the time he was also running a copywriting agency And said that instead of paying him for mentoring, that I want to write for the agency? So I thought that sounded cool. I got into it. I started to learn some bits about direct response, studying emails, studying sales pages, all that kind of stuff. And eventually he then took me on to work for his agency. And I kind of rode the line between doing the, the online fitness stuff and copy. And I started to get my own clients and stuff and did that for about two years, and then I think it was summer 2016, I decided that I'd sort of, it was difficult to really nail down any kind of positioning, and really sort of see myself as going in one direction, and so I decided that actually it was about time that I gave up all the fitness stuff, and so I have Mm -hmm. been full-time in copy since about September 2016 now, so yeah, that's kind of the the last 10 years in
0: about four minutes. Excellent. I love how you summated that. It made me so much happier. (laughs) That's really cool. I've been trying to get down on the show for a while now, but the guy has, I know he's always busy doing stuff, so it's kind of hard to like get him down to do stuff, to get on the show, which is fine. You know, I'm sure we'll cross paths when the time comes, but what I like is the fact that he actually does mentor people um, and helps them and finds a way to like work with them. Now, something I did want to ask you, particularly because you are a fellow reader, um, do you ever like read old copywriting books, or are you like me, where you read some of them, but more or less you kind of have like this whole natural inclination to what you want to do?
1: I'd say more the latter. I do read stuff, but I'm certainly not. I'm not one of these like read an hour a day kind of people. Same. So at the moment, there's a couple that I'll always go back to. Um, And like, for example, I'm reading um, uh, Ogilvy on advertising. So obviously it's quite, you know, a relatively old book in the grand scheme of things. Um, And I'm a fan of reading stuff like that, but I don't like taking in too much information. So most of my, I guess most of my learning and research and stuff, to be fair, probably comes from actually writing and from reading stuff that's just around at the moment, I guess. So being on people's email lists and checking out whatever sales letters and uh vsls and stuff that landed my inbox so that's probably 80 percent of it i guess
0: yeah that makes sense i get that i mean it's it's one of those things where um i've actually like reduced a lot by reading time down to either newsletters uh philosopher's notes uh which i love by the way those things are amazing but philosopher's notes are the best um have you ever used them basically there's book summaries like six page book summaries
1: i haven't but that sounds pretty cool
0: yeah so it just helps me out so much with um figuring out what i want to do um and basically how i get my information compactly sent to me it's incredible um but yeah something i really don't want to ask you particularly like when it comes down to working out do you because you do still work out what do you find is the best way or best times to do so because personally for me i work out every morning between 6 until 11 so that's kind of like my workout time um do jiu-jitsu and then lift weights uh afterwards but what i find sometimes on some days it's not every day but some days i feel super depleted like instead of feeling like yeah i can go after the day i'm like i feel like i've just burnt myself out i just want to go home and sleep so what's the kind of like the balance that you find that works out that allows you to work out but ultimately Keeps you energized to go towards um, go towards your day.
1: Sometime in the middle of the day for me, generally, I I used to be an early morning trainer, and most of the time I'd be in the gym by eight thirty at the latest, if not more like six six thirty. Mm-hmm. But one, I just started to find actually. I know some people can train fasted, but for me, I didn't particularly like training with no food in me. And likewise, I didn't want to get up at like half four to eat a meal and then train at six. So, yeah, basically sort of stepped away from that. And at the same time, I really do not like training in a busy gym at all. So I try and make sure I'm out of the gym by half three, absolute latest. So like today, I think I was in there about 9.30 this morning. And that's typically the earliest I'll go in if I'm um, doing, a, doing a heavier session or squatting and deadlifting, it's more like sort of midday one o'clock, just same thing. I actually like to have a couple of meals in me and like to have gotten some work done just because otherwise I'm, I suppose I could motivate myself harder, but at the same time, I just can't be bothered to get any earlier. And I think if you don't have to be anywhere at a certain time, then yeah, I'm sort of a generally late morning slash lunchtime kind of person.
0: That's pretty cool. Especially, like, in, in figuring out what times work out for you. I'm still, like, trying to find that spectrum. I know I don't like working out in the morning, though. Not in the morning, sorry. In the afternoon or the evening. Evening is kind of okay, but I don't like traveling around London in the evening. And the afternoon, by that point, I've started my workflow, and I don't like breaking away from it. It's, it's strange.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly find, for me, that probably my most creative times are kind of between 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. I guess so I don't want to put it same as yourself. I don't really want to interrupt that at all um yeah and likewise <laughs> I've done the whole sort of being in the gym after five o'clock in the evening and it's it's just not fun plus I don't massively enjoy training if that makes sense and I like yep. you know I like the feeling of it and, it's
0: um it's the labor of love
1: yeah yeah but you know if you said to me what are your if you didn't have to work out um, and you can still get the same results, would you train? I'd probably, I probably would, but I'd probably train like three times a week instead of five. Just, yeah, but, you know, that's, uh, yeah. So for me, if I leave it too far to the end of the day, I just find it so difficult to get motivated.
0: That's interesting. See, I, it, similar, it's not really similar to the exact opposite of you, to be fair. Um, if I couldn't <laughs> work out, if someone was like, would you still work out if you could have, well, I don't have body, I want you, I'm working towards that. If I could maintain like a peak uh, healthy fitness, would I still work out? The answer is absolutely. Jiu jitsu is like one of my favorite things in the world because I just switch off from the world and it's human chess. Like the guys I train with, I'm very grateful for this because the people I train with actually make my experience work for me because some people just, how do I put this? They're not fun to train with. You all come across them. They go a little bit too heavy, they go a little bit too rough, just a lot of craziness. But what I love, uh, especially when it comes like, to the guys I train with, like my buddy Michael. Michael is an animal, like a straight-up beast. Um, and that's putting it nicely, because I'm hypermobile, so I can handle my own. Michael is not as flexible as me, but he's very flexible. He's heavier than me, barely, about 5 kilos heavier than me right now. But when he's, on, when he's got a good position on you, it feels like a metric tonne. You just can't move him, and he's fast as fuck, and he's technical. It's like, no, anyone in the gym is kind of like, they're not scared of him, but they don't, when they roll with him, they know they're coming in for a fight. They know that this is not going to be a cakewalk with him. <laughs> Whereas me, I love training with him. But my whole point is that it's such a mental stimulation for me. Like, the guys that I train with stimulate me, they push me to get me to a new level. So I don't think I could ever stop doing that. But, yeah,
1: I think that, certainly for me, it's more a case of, I, I can definitely understand that. Like I recently, well, say recently, uh, about 18 months ago, I switched to training in a proper powerlifting gym. So I went away, I've never done the commercial gym side of things typically, but went away from more of like a bodybuilder focused gym where there was a lot of ego to a powerlifting gym. And that's kind of quite humbling at the same time, quite inspiring. Cause you've got guys in there who are like 75 kilos putting up 260 kilo squats. And it's wow. like, that's pretty nuts and I'll probably never be that strong. But at the same time, it's, uh, it's something to work towards, I think. And yeah, there's a degree of motivation, inspiration there for sure.
0: Oh yeah. Like you got, like those little moments do inspire the hell out of me, especially when I meet someone that is just so strong and you're like, how, how are you physically, <laughs> you should not be able to do this, but you do. Um, it is humbling in that, um, in its own sense. Now, one of the questions I did really have for you that I was, um, curious to ask you about, is how do you as, uh, well, not just in like copywriting per se, but like as a business owner, how do you actually set up your finances? Because this is something I've always been curious about, and I've never really asked many copywriters this, but it was like, ask him, it'll be interesting. (laughs) Like, how do you set yourself up so you're not in that churn and burn of like feast and famine? Um, So you can, not just only do you have clients always coming in, but more importantly, you've kind of made sure that the money that does come in goes the furthest like what's do you have any methods or strategies around that that you can advise others on
1: i'd say there's probably a couple in terms of just from a straight up earnings perspective um i make sure i always have at least one retainer so that retainer typically i've had the same retainer for like two years now and that typically pays between about a third and i'd say probably 25 to 40 percent of my monthly income so i know that even if everything else goes My mortgage, my car, and my essentials are covered, I guess. And that's something that I've always strived for because I think that actually, no matter how good you are, if you know that you absolutely need to get clients to survive, it's never a good place to be marketing yourself from. And I think that consciously or subconsciously, you can come across as potentially a bit desperate if you're in that situation. So from a pure, like, what work I take on... I have no issue taking on work that maybe maybe it's not the most creative type of work in the world but if it's the kind of thing that I can still do from anywhere at any time and it gives me something every month that's you know that's pretty much guaranteed and there has to be a uh, a couple of months period if either of us wants to end the relationship that makes me personally feel a lot more secure and then I guess finance wise I I live quite within my means, I'd say, as in I don't live like, you know, I don't sort of scrounge and save everything, but I've never particularly been the type of person to spend a lot on clothes. I I travel a bit, but it never has to be like flying everywhere first class and, you know, amazing Michelin-starred restaurants every night and that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. I make sure that um, at least 20% of what I Uh, of what comes in goes straight into savings and I don't touch that for anything apart from if it's going to then be put into like some sort of investment or some property or something like that so yeah I guess I'm, I'm definitely not the most organized person with finances but just those couple of bits and I guess probably practicing delayed gratification as well certainly in a in the sense of material things like that that sort of stuff doesn't do a lot for me i guess and so yeah not just kind of splashing the cash but making sure i enjoy my life but without buying crap loads of stuff that tends to be a fairly fail safe tactic i'd say
0: yeah i mean that actually does sound like a very very smart way of doing it because most people don't do it that way they kind of just kind of spend as much as it comes in as quickly as it comes in (laughs)
1: Yeah, and I think I it's just my personal thing, but I don't like putting anything on a credit card, and I don't particularly like putting stuff on finance unless I absolutely have to, um, So, which basically the only thing is a car. Um, yeah, and that's just the way I do it in terms of I don't use credit cards just because I think I'd rather have the money to pay for something outright. And I've just got to the point as well, I've actually got about a year's earnings in savings. And that was something I was always striving for, just because I think, again, that gives, you know, if if shit really hit the fan and for whatever reason you couldn't write, at least you've got some sort of buffer there that, yeah, you wouldn't be kicked out on the street within a week.
0: Okay. yeah. that just reminded me of something like really badly that a friend went through where they didn't actually have fail safe. They were just burning through cash like crazy. And don't get me wrong. I've been in that situation before and where I burned through a ton of money and wonder wonder where the hell the rest of my money went. In fact, that was my first big win in copywriting when I was 19 years old, (laughs) like all the money I made because I made like six figures off that client, um, on a single mailing. And, um, it was like years later, a friend of mine asked me, How the hell did you go from that to like completely not having any money? I was like, Well, paying off other people's debts, like family debts, making sure that I lived slightly extravagantly and not being smart with my money, that will do you in.
1: Yeah, I think there's always two sides to it. There's, yeah. I, I often talk about it quite a lot that actually, if you're in a business where you're helping others to make money, then sometimes you do need to splash a bit because it's actually, it's it's one way of showing your positioning. You know, it's it's like the analogy that, I don't agree with 100%, but the analogy that, would you hire a financial advisor if they turned up to your house driving a, a 20-year-old busted up car? And okay, there could be lots of reasons for that, but it would certainly make you second guess or like double check what you were doing, I would say. And so there's definitely something in the positioning element of, you know people seeing that you're doing okay for yourself and I also think that if you know that you've got the ability to get clients to make money because of being able to write copy at the same time I think there's less of a fear of actually if if all my money went could I make it back again most likely yes and so it's kind of a blessing and a curse I suppose that actually it's a great position to be in that you can do that but at the same time it sometimes makes you a bit haphazard with how you use it
0: oh entirely um i think it was gary halbert used to have the problem as well where he was just like he would make money he would make it faster than he could make he would spend it faster than he could make it (laughs) like at one point um i think it was bond halbert said this as well to me it was like the amount that people um were worried about like his dad like not having money that's where operation money suck even came from it was the idea that there was, there were a month or two behind on paying for their office. They had clients on the phone asking for money. There was like bills and whatever. So, uh, Gary Halbert pulls in John Carlson, who's working for him. And John's like, what the hell's going on? And Gary's like, oh, we're about to enact Operation Money Suck. Here's my Rolodex. Here's the script. Call every single one that you can. I'm going to do the same. We're going to see who can, uh, who can speak to. Um, and he told his assistants, if if as, if the landlord comes in, tell him I'm not in. If so-and-so comes in, tell him I'm not here. Basically, this door is locked and only under threat of fire or um, something that would basically kill us. That's the only reason you should knock and try and come in, nothing else. <laughs> and, like, within 36 hours, he would have, like, a new client that's paying him, like, 15, 20 grand right then and there.
1: I think that's the thing. It's the – I've never been in that position, but I know – I think it was – like two years ago, for whatever reason, I had no retainers. I lost a couple of people just because, as you know, that just sometimes happens. People get projects done, they move on, whatever. Um, yeah, and it was like at first you kind of panic, and then you think, actually, it's not, it shouldn't be that difficult to go and do this. And so I did my very mini version of that, but sent a really quick email to everyone who I'd either worked for in the past or paid for mentoring. And I think by the end of that day, I had three new deals that come in. And it's like it wasn't even that difficult. It didn't involve a phone call. And so, yeah, it's it's certainly a, a good thing to have that security blanket in place and that fallback plan if you need to. But yeah, I certainly wouldn't want to be relying on it too often.
0: Yeah. that That makes sense, though. So I actually have a question about this because you mentioned it twice or three times now. When you're dealing with retainer clients, how do you actually figure out what to charge them? Because that's an issue that I've faced, and I know a few other people have faced as well, where it's like, how do we charge um, the retain the retainer fee? Because like, say the costs are, let's say, hypothetical, that they're charging $10,000 for a project. How do they turn that into a retainer client, and how much do they charge?
1: I think for me, it's been one of those things where I've... More so, weighed up the individual requirements of what someone's needed, and most of mine have usually come from being hired to do one or two projects, and then having the conversation with the client of, "Can we make this a regular thing?" So, I I wouldn't say I'd be wary of new people um, or taking on new clients on a retainer type deal, but I kind of think I've had it a bit easy for the fact that. I think every retainer I've had has come like that and there's been a case of, I know this person already know what they're doing. So actually like a large chunk of the research portion has been done and things like that. But I always had this and this is something I learned from Dan, which um, seems to have worked well is that my retainers have always been based on a a fixed fee every month of of a rough agreement of what, um, of what the client would need. But, Dan taught me to use the um, the don't be a dick rule which is basically you'll say to the client if you think they're being a bit of a dick with how much they're asking for as in if they said I oh, will probably want like a, I don't know 12 emails a month and a sales letter a month and then all of a sudden one month they want 25 emails, two sales letters, a couple of landing pages. You can say to them "Look, you know there's flexibility in this agreement but exercising the do not be a dick rule I'm going to say actually this is going to cost you a bit more and likewise on the flip side if you agree to something and then actually you do a month for them where there's hardly anything it's probably a good thing for you to say to them look I didn't actually do as much as I thought this month it's quite a bit under so next month if you want a bit more that's absolutely fine and it's always worked all right for me I'm not professing that that's the the most professional or the uh, the most guaranteed way to do it but certainly for me it's just I don't know it's always kept for quite an easy working relationship if both of us are, are cool with that and I work out roughly how long everything's going to take me each month then it's always served me pretty well
0: that's pretty cool that's actually a really good way of doing it uh,
1: just for me I personally don't want anything to feel too corporate with a relationship and so actually if someone says to me you know we'll do a retainer and. I don't want you to do a, a timesheet or someone once wants uh, wanted me to to do like a two-hour emotional intelligence questionnaire with them. And I was like, that I'm probably not the person for you if if you want to kick off our relationship with that kind of thing.
0: Oh yeah, I agree. Like I have a really weird rule with um my like with my clients to do like one-day consultations with me. And I'm actually gonna be putting this up on my website once it launches by the time the show comes out hopefully it should be already up and live on the new app on the new uh website but essentially what I do with people is uh I go out and I tell them right then and there I don't do half day consulting I do like full day if you want me to come in person they're like why well, I was like so gotta travel out there it's a huge ball like and the reason is because the first hour or two I gather you your head of marketing and basically your entire team uh in one place whether it's on Skype, if they're on skype or zoom or whatever then you know, they've got to be able to have this thing that's, they're going to be able to, they need to have access to um, Cards Against Humanity. And they're like, why? I was like, because I'm bringing some with me and we're going to play for the first hour or two. Like, what does that serve? I was like, it shows me who you are. (laughs) Because unfortunately, it's not completely legal to show up at your client's place with a jujitsu gi and go, all right, have you got any mats available? Let's roll. You can't (laughs) do that because they get pissed off or hurt. So yeah, you basically, that's, one of the best ways I don't have to like gauge someone I want to work with is how good are they at cards against humanity or as I found recently, do they like Bill and Ted? And if they don't <laughs> like Bill and Ted, then they're not my client.
1: <laughs> That's pretty cool. it's um it reminds me I think of well, it's a slightly more fun way than this but I was listening to a uh, I think it was a Tim Ferriss podcast a while ago and he was talking to this investor guy and the investors thing was, he would only work with people if he could see himself actually still having fun with them if if everything went tits up. And I thought, actually, that's quite a good way to do things because everyone can be friendly enough and cordial and all of that. But if you are working with someone, even if it's remotely and online, then actually I think personality is a lot more important than people realise. And yeah, it's I'm sure you've had the same. I've had those gigs before where you work with people and you may be not consider that as much at the start and it just turns into an absolute ball ache and yeah it oh, just yeah. gets to be much more um much more work than it's worth
0: yeah no i've i've been there i've actually been there a couple of times so i what i have found is i'm very good at sussing those out now so i usually just stick on a pete attack's <laughs> if it's like, I really want to work with this person, but they look like they're going to be a pain in my ass, so I'm going to charge them 30% more than I usually would.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty sound idea. I've started doing that as well. And it's, uh, at least it makes it a bit more bearable than if you do have someone like that.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And the other thing is that usually at that point, if I have someone like that, I usually dedicate, uh, I uh, delegate them to a copywriter that I would have trained and be like, here you go, you write it. I'm gonna check this out, edit it, and send it in.
1: Yeah,
0: that makes Smart. my life so much easier. But I gotta admit, <laughs> the only problem with having like certain team members, I've gotta, I've gotta train people up to a level that I find acceptable. And yeah, it's just so, even like my course. My course takes five hours at the very most to go through, right? And by that point, you'd know more than most people would about copywriting um, inside like a weekend. The problem with that is it's kind of annoying when people go through it and they still make the same mistakes as last time. And you're like, come on guys, mm. thought we fixed these.
1: <laughs> yeah. I found that even for that, it, it's kind of why I try not to do critiques for people anymore, just because it's fine. If you're critiquing for someone who, you know, is a pretty good writer and is, is good at coming up with hooks and that kind of thing. But if they're not, you just, you basically end up rewriting it or just thinking I may as well have written this myself from scratch. And so I'll still do critiques this days or these days, sorry. But for that same reason, it's like, it can often be more work to critique something than just if you sat down to write yourself. So yeah, I think being selective and being picky about that kind of stuff is you just got to do it.
0: Oh, agreed. Without a doubt. That's kind of like a huge thing you gotta do anyway. Um, so that's why I say like, I'd love to get someone at the same level I can put them at. When well, I'm like, cool, I'm happy passing on projects to you. It just takes time. So my curiosity here, like, really is abounded by this, um, by this curiosity. And for you, for someone like you, I've got to ask: Do you actually watch movies and like TV shows and stuff like that?
1: Uh, yeah, I watch. I don't know if I watch a fair deal, but I certainly I'm not one of these people who actively avoids tv and stuff i do quite enjoy it
0: that's cool because the, the reason i ask is i was curious on like what are some of the shows that you personally have enjoyed recently or uh, all time really that you'd recommend other people to check out and yes this does sound like a netflix recommendation but there <laughs> is a reason to this
1: so i'm actually going through the u.s version of the office at the moment
0: first um, time or
1: yeah for the first time yeah and okay what
0: what's your take on it because i've not seen it either and i don't understand why everyone loves it
1: I was in that same boat and it was literally because I can't remember why, but our Netflix wasn't working and it popped up. I thought I'd look at Amazon Prime instead and it popped up on there. And um, one of the guys, Ross Rafino, who I work with, had said that he's a massive fan of it. And I was like, I don't know. I'm not generally as big on American comedies, British stuff, but I'll give it a go. And the first three or four episodes, I wasn't super impressed because they were, using more or less the same script as the UK version, which I love. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to get through this, but it was only what, two and a half hours of TV to get through the first series. And then, or to get through the equivalent of the first UK series. I think that the US ones are like 22 episodes a series or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But after that, it changes enough that it's, it's a different style of humor. Because obviously the Americans don't do <laughs> sort of the... the Is it sarcasm? Whatever the... Dry humour. They don't yeah, do dry humour very yeah, well. Yeah, they don't. No, so it's different style, but it's actually done pretty well. So because it's so easy to watch and they're, what, 20 minutes a piece, I've been getting through one at lunchtime and one in the evening normally, and I think I'm up to about series seven now. So yeah, I've been really impressed with it, provided you get through the first four or five episodes and you detach it from the uk version i'd say it's well worth a watch
0: Ooh, see that's something i definitely would want to like look at as well just simply because never seen it before so that's that i'm putting that to my watch list oh there was a different question and the reason i actually asked that was because i always like to know what other writers watch just simply because what influences their posts and this comes back down to the way that you write and i'm curious about this because I've only started to do this where I'm speaking a little bit more freely and more openly about what I want to do and what I want to talk about. Um, How did you find your voice with that? Or has it always been that way?
1: I think I've I've got more confident in just saying whatever I've wanted to (laughs) than probably the last year or so. And I'd say it's actually been to a degree, inspired probably by some of the stuff I've written and some of the stuff that I've read. And this sounds really weird, but I've always wanted to be really, really good at insulting people.
0: That is really weird.
1: Really good at, but, like, not through being hugely, like, offensive, but more just being able to craft a really clever, witty insult. And so things like, I don't know if you've ever watched The Thick of It,
0: uh, not, no, I haven't.
1: So it's like a, a UK political drama, um,
0: okay.
1: like a, a satire, basically, Okay. and Peter Capaldi plays the, uh, the government spin doctor in it, <laughs> and yeah, even if you just go on YouTube and look up Malcolm Tucker best insults, the character he plays is called Malcolm Tucker, his insults are just hilarious and incredibly cutting, so that kind of stuff gave me a bit of confidence to just be a bit more out there. And then I guess probably a couple of authors as well in terms of reading stuff. um, Fiction wise, I like Irvin Welsh and there's a guy called John Niven and both of them, I think, write in a very raw, very funny, but also quite offensive way. And I've always thought if I was going to write a fiction book, that's the kind of style I'd want. And so actually it's it's almost helped with social media stuff to occasionally put out something that's a bit more abrasive, or you know, is is certainly not afraid to be divisive. I guess.
0: Yeah. That that makes sense. Have you read Bukowski's work at all, or no?
1: Yeah, um, I think I got through a pretty good six or seven of his. Um, probably about six years ago. I've not read any since then. But actually, yeah, sitting here, I can see I have factotum literally
0: an arm's length away from me huh cool see i've got to get back into reading his stuff because he has like some he has some great he has some great material um to just read through and study as well i remember frank kind of used to hop on about him personally i do want to look at i am probably going to watch the thick of it to be fab just simply because i do love a good insult like um Black Adder was my my go-to as a kid yeah yeah just the witty responses always used to make me laugh, and still do. Um, yeah,
1: I think there's a great art in insulting someone, and someone's really refraining from swearing in an insult makes it even better, I feel, and if you can, if you do it in a certain way, and just, yeah, it sounds really nasty and really mean, but there's there's some kind of sick pleasure in it at the same time
0: it really is it, i think it's not so much trying to insult someone it's the ability to insult someone not even insult someone that's the wrong word offend not offend it's, <laughs> it's calling someone out on their shit in a way that is witty and humor uh, and it's humorous but yeah. more importantly and the actual point of it is it's done in a way that the past pers- it's insulting without it's the art of insulting without insulting
1: That's the way I would
0: look at it. Yeah, It's like Jeet Kune Do, but for insulting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, poking holes in arguments as well. I think a lot of the time people say stuff, and we're all guilty of it, but especially on social media, you see people say stuff, and they have a very, very firm viewpoint, and you think, actually, you've not thought about that viewpoint at all, and this is going to be quite easy to pick some holes in. And I think that's quite a good skill to have, if I'm honest. I know that a a lot of people will use it for kind of fairly irrelevant purposes on social media but i think in life and actually bringing it back around to copy if you're good at finding flaws in arguments and pointing those out it's it's a valuable skill to have like if you can do that in a competitor's product or in other methods and that kind of thing it does actually help with making sales
0: yeah That, that is very, very true because if you, especially with reviewing stuff, if you can make fun of it at the same time while you're reviewing it, people just tend to stay on for a lot longer. Yeah. Yep. It's one of the reasons why, it's one of the reasons why one of the best channels I've actually looked at is someone like, uh, biographics or top tens, which has Simon Whistler. Now don't get me wrong. He does mispronounce a lot of words and it does bug the absolute fuck out of me, um, I, that's something I've realized about myself as I've gotten older. I really dislike him, would dislike him when people mispronounce words, especially when they're like commonplace words, like how are you mispronouncing this? Like, shut up. It's weird. Anyway. Yeah. But back to my point, he has a very witty way of speaking. It's informative. It's tonal patterns, very much like a teacher. But at the same time, he's, it, it's a good, smooth rhythm. I, I enjoy the way it is. And I love the fact that when he uses his wit to, win arguments another person for that is jordan peterson controversial figure but he's quite witty in his responses and he's quite measured the way he says things
1: yeah i'll go along with that for definite i think that actually probably watching comedy is something that i would say helps as well people yeah. like in terms of that sort of satirical witty side of things i think someone like charlie brooker is probably very good for that um yeah and you know comedians like bill burr certainly if you want to learn to tell a story as well watch a comic most of them are very very good storytellers and excellent at creating open loops and using some sort of hook and kind of bringing a couple of stories together and keeping you hanging on and again i wouldn't say that i particularly try and make any sort of copy to be like a comedy set but i think even subconsciously That stuff kind of starts to sink in if you watch enough of it. And it's a way of honing your craft without feeling like you're having to actually do any work.
0: Yeah, it's a little cheat sheet. It's one of the things I tell every one of my protégés to do, and I've said before on here, is um, quite simply, I like to get people um, almost immediately. The first thing I want them to do is watch um, It's like six hours of Gears of War like why would I watch six hours of a cartoon of like a game's cutscenes? I was like, because you want to go through it emotionally and it'll tell you exactly how to tell a good damn story. <laughs> and comics uh, could not agree with you more with some of the ones that you've already named, but Tom Segura is one of my favorite ones. And the reason is because his ability to tell a story and keep you going the entire way through is incredible. Like his ability to put payoffs uh, at different intervals is incredible.
1: Yeah, I think it's something that a lot of people neglect and, okay, yeah. it's probably not going to be right up there in terms of, you know, what's the one thing you can do to, to learn copy from scratch? You probably wouldn't say watch comedy, but...
0: Oh, no, I do. I actually do put that on my list. Okay. Yeah, that, that is <laughs> um, one of the things I, I do s- to
1: I was going to say sort of maybe in the number five to number ten spot, but, yeah, if you feel it's right up there, then so be it.
0: Yeah, so, sorry, I interrupted. You were going to say...
1: Um... No, I can't remember. It's damn it. Whatever
0: it was. <laughs> that, yes, clearly. One of those things I was like, damn it, I wish I wish I hadn't interrupted him right then. <laughs> Could have got something else. It's always fun. So curiously, as we're like hitting this mark on uh, the show, I did want to ask as well, what would be some of the most recommended books that you would actually tell my audience to listen to or read and pick up? Um, Not just copywriting, but... Any ones that you'd be like, I think you, people need to read this more?
1: I would say probably there's two copy and marketing books I would recommend. I think one would be The Advertising Solution by Craig Simpson and Brian Kurtz, which book. I think it's it's got is it six copyrights they go through, like um, Gary Halber. Um,
0: Abraham's uh, on there, Ben's Finger's on there as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, Claude Hopkins,
0: Claude Hopkins, Schwartz. G. G. Schwartz, and I think, yeah.
1: I think one other as well. So, yeah, it's just they break that stuff down into probably the big nuggets of what you need to know. And I just remember going through it thinking, this is so logical that actually, if all someone had was this resource, I think they could make a pretty good job of writing copy. So, that'd be one. And then, other businessy book, it's pretty very, very cliche, but The Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss was what got me into, um, i guess businessy stuff in the first place i read it when i was about 18 19 i think probably a year or two after it come out Mm -hmm. and it just showed me a different way of doing things and i think there's holes in the book as in it it skirts over a lot of detail that you probably need to go away and look at but just in terms of a general inspirational thing and showing you the there's possibilities there for not having to sit at a desk and you can outsource a lot and have a very successful business without doing a whole lot of work. I think that's, yeah, everyone should probably read that at some stage. Yeah. And then I guess in terms of other bits, fiction wise, there's probably no one thing, but like I said earlier, I think Irving Welsh in terms of storytelling for me is a big one. Uh, John Niven. Same thing. They're sort of quite similar in style. Um, There's an author I really like called Andrei Kirkov, who's Ukrainian. And Mm -hmm. I honestly couldn't tell you anything specific that I've picked up that's helped with copy or marketing. But his books are just different, I guess, and very easy to read. Again, good stories, very good character development. And he's excellent at writing about quite mundane stuff. So his books are... in a 200-page book, he probably doesn't, there's not a whole lot of plot development, but the story keeps on going really, really well with purely character development. So I guess those would be my, the things I could certainly read over and over again fairly easily.
0: See, that's really interesting because something you just mentioned that is one of the reasons why Thor Ragnarok was so popular. Um, It's the fact that, like, Taika Waititi actually has, had become, uh, not even had become, he had put together the entire, like, set of jokes, all the references and stuff as kind of what he calls mundane humor, which is British, Australia, New Zealandy. y um, We kind of, like, we'll make fun of the mundane and then it will die and then we'll just keep making fun of it until it becomes funny again. Like <laughs> It's just this ability to keep going with insults and jokes.
1: Yeah, I'd say there's a lot to that.
0: Yeah, I, I, same here. wouldn't wouldn't disagree with it at all, but it's, it's just humorous to me. That's basically what it is. Um, and again, like with the books that I actually asked you about right now, they're mostly for like people that would love to read them anyway. Like me and myself personally, I'm probably going to read up on, what was the name of the last person, the Ukrainian?
1: Uh, Andrei Kirkov K-U-R-K-O-V. K-U-R-K-O-V.
0: Okay, Kirkov got it, cool. So his kind of stuff would be really interesting and fascinating to me because I love reading um, just different pieces of work because it always stimulates a great new idea in me even if that's not what I go in there for, it still comes up, which is brilliant. Uh, crap, that was a question I really wanted to ask you right now. My brain just like slipped on it. That was it. So just remember what it is. One of the, clearly doing well as a host today, this is what's going on. Um, no, but one of, the, one of the questions I really did want to ask you particularly was, what have you found um, has been one of the biggest challenges for you uh, in terms of building your confidence as a writer? And just as an entrepreneur or a business owner, it's yourself, because like, I know a lot of people face face harsh challenges. I know you've gone through your own personal ones as well. Um, how did you actually like build that confidence back up and keep that confidence so you know you don't screw up constantly? Or if you do, it's, it doesn't take too much of a hit to uh, you personally.
1: There's probably a few aspects to this. One thing that... I think it was Doberman Dan said to me was that I had him for for mentoring for a couple of years. I think I worked with him. And one of the things he said was that he reckons that he averages out that for every 10 pieces of copy he writes, he probably has one that does absolutely amazingly knocks out the park, surpasses all expectations. He has about three that do pretty well and either get where he wants them to be or slightly above. He has probably four or five that do just okay and are passable. And he has one or two out of those 10 that are absolute stinkers and completely bomb. And he can't work out why, but that's just what happened. And so for me, that was a big thing where I thought, okay, if one of the most well-known corporates in the world is saying that 10 to 20% of his staff is completely out of horseshit and he doesn't know why, that's kind of quite... Uh, comforting in a weird way that actually (laughs) it doesn't matter if you have a couple of projects that don't go well as long as you're you have that open and honest dialogue with your clients and for me that's one reason why I generally only work with clients who've hired copywriters before because they get that Um, and if something doesn't work They'll go fine. Let's test something else. Let's tweak it. Can you can you rewrite the lead? Can you give us a few more headlines? Can you uh, can you punch up the the story? Something like that. So that was yeah, that was a big thing for me. Realising that okay, it doesn't matter what job you do, it, it's never going to go right a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. And then I think the other thing in terms of confidence comes back to what I said about retainers. In terms of even if you for whatever reason, have an absolute stink of a month and maybe you lose a couple of clients or maybe you go and try and get some and they don't come in. Maybe you put out one of your own offers and it doesn't go as you wanted to. Having the stuff you can fall back on is an absolute godsend. I mean, it's, you know, we all want more a lot of the time, but if your your rent, your mortgage, your bills, your whatever are paid with regular work, then, actually you're doing probably better than a lot of people out there.
0: Yeah. Would would not disagree with that. And I find a lot of writers kind of go, quote, unquote, professional a bit too soon. Um, And that's kind of like one of the pieces of advice that I always give people when they ask me, oh, what advice would you give yourself when you started out? I'm like, don't quit your day job.
1: Yeah,
0: 100%. Don't quit your day job until you have like X amount of months of uh, bills and rent and living expenses put aside and you've got to the point where you have a couple of clients already paid you that you can see that this is consistent. I can now take t- I can move away from this like secure job that I have.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that for definite. I think I've certainly, whenever I've done a bit of a switch, it's been at the point where I haven't been able to take on any more work and have been on the brink of burnout, if not going into it, which probably isn't so healthy. But from a long term standpoint it's far better to know that you've got that security in place. And no matter how good you are, you may never have 100% total security. But like you said, certainly starting out, it's like, I think people are far too quick on the whole to jump the gun and go, okay, I've made, you know, I've had two months now, I've earned five grand at this, Um, I'm going to chuck in all my other work. And it's like, maybe you want to have six months where you've earned that much money or yeah. maybe you want to at least made sure you've had like two months at 15 grand when your basic expenses are three just so you know for sure okay i've saved some up i've got six months to see if this works or not
0: exactly and people find that quite defeatist but i'll tell you someone's gone through the experiences it's not it's actually one of the smartest things you can actually do as a writer Everyone, people may shun you, people may get mad at you because, you know, you work two jobs, you work your freelance, you work in your own freelance career, but also at the same time have something else going. Trust me, don't pay them no mind because at the end of the day, most of them, they don't have the money.
1: Yeah. Like I said, I took two years to make up a decision of what way I was going to go. And it's, it's not the sexy way to do it because it doesn't necessarily make for a rags to riches tale. And I get when people say, I'll jump off the cliff and you'll grow wings on the way down. But for every one person who does that, like 19 jump off the cliff and don't get any fucking wings <laughs> and then have to find a way to recover.
0: Yeah, as someone that basically did follow that methodology for a very long time, yeah, I know. It, it's one of those things. Like, I'm kind of one of the lucky ones. And I, I look at that as the way that it is. I'm lucky because I have, um, I built up my skill set to the point from a very young age that I can actually do what I do. But at the same time, I go through my own challenges. I mean, I make them pretty public as well. So, like, some you've seen them, uh, because I just want to. I want to show the world, that, look, hey, this shit happens to all of us. And, yeah. and there are and there are like some really high, uh, like seven eight figure entrepreneurs I know, who have the same mindset because they've been broke and they don't ever want to go back, because it sucks.
1: Yeah, there's certainly a case that I think, definite.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, guys, I w- just I want to thank you as well, Mike, for actually being here because uh, I just realized what the time is. I would have kept you here all day if I could. Um, <laughs> but, guys, definitely go check out adelomarcy.com forward slash Mike's giveaway, M I K E S hyphen giveaway. Link will be in the description. Um, it's your autoresponder training, your autoresponder blueprint you actually put out as well, which is really cool. Um, that people can get their hands on. And thanks again for actually sharing all the information quite publicly with us, ben. I really appreciate it.
1: No, it's good, mate. No, it's uh, always like talking about this stuff. And yeah, if it helps people, then fantastic. Even better.
0: Yeah, it mean, it's a different viewpoint to what everyone else is saying, which is really, really interesting.
1: Well, I don't like to, uh, don't like to stay too close to the crowd.
0: Yeah, I don't blame <laughs> you. But Mike, it's been a pleasure having you on, my friend. I hope you have a great day. And guys... Uh, It's been an honor to spend this time with you, uh, speaking to you. And I look forward to having you guys on, uh, well, having you here the next episode as well. Take care. Thanks again, Mike.